Okay, welcome to our next edition of uh, podcasting, podcasting in English. Today, Rosanna and I uh, we're going to be talking about studying in Australia. Um, we're going to mention a number of points here. We'll talk about the kinds of schools that exist in Australia, um, the academic year, the, the structure of school, uh, as well as uh, some of the key learning areas and extracurricular activities that students participate in at school. Um, before we go on, though, just to mention one more time that uh, we've got a transcript available for this conversation on the site. So uh, if you head to the English section of uh, the site, www dot worldlanguagespodcasting.com you'll be able to access this transcript and uh, you'll find an A4 page of exercises as well as uh, responses to those uh, exercises on the site okay so Roseanne hi hi Glenn <laughs> so here we are in your home this time we're not in the little classroom at school and uh, we're very comfortable here I've got a coffee and some shortbread biscuits <laughs> and Roseanne's got a juice very domestic of you there, Roseanne. <laughs> um, okay, let's start with talking about the kinds of school, schools that we have here in Australia. And Roseanne, uh, being French, she's going to make some comparisons also with uh, the French schooling system. First of all, with the kinds of schools that we have here in Australia, um, like most countries, uh, the great proportion of, uh, of schools are government. And, uh, but in Australia, there's a significant proportion of schools that are non-government, uh, religious schools as well as um, independent schools. Roseanne, you actually went to a Catholic school in France. That's right, yes. I, went to, I did all my schooling in Catholic schools. All in Catholic schools, so yes. primary school and secondary school. Primary school, secondary school, and uni was a Catholic uni as well. Okay. Mm. Mm. So, um, but how common are Catholic schools in France? I would say it's quite common. I think I would say it's half half. Like, um, yeah, it's very common for kids to go to a Catholic school. And there is the other one which we call Lake, which would be the public school, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, it's quite common as well. Okay. So they're mainly mainly Catholic schools, or you also got Protestant schools and. Um, not as many Protestant schools. No, it's main, mm. mainly public schools and Catholic schools. Okay. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I was looking on this site just this morning about uh, the percentage of government schools in Australia, and I see that 72, 72% of uh, both primary and secondary schools are government, and 18% are Catholic and 10% independent. And we actually work at an independent school. Well, I do now. I work at an independent <laughs> school, but Roseanne no longer works at the school because um, she's entered the world of motherhood, so she's no longer working with me. But uh, independent schools becoming much more common in Australia, even though there's only 10% at the moment. But the school fees can be quite significant for an independent school. So how much would the kids pay, do you think, to, to come to our school, or even an independent school on average, and uh, the average amount for an independent secondary school? In Australia, mm. um, would um, thirty thousand be a, a good figure? Thirty thousand Australian dollars. Um, I think there might be a couple that charge that much, mm -hmm. but I think typically fifteen thousand. Fifteen. Fifteen thousand Australian Australian dollars, which is a, a huge Wh amount. Yes, yeah, already. For mm. sure. Um, okay, how about the academic year? In Australia. In Australia, okay, the academic year in Australia um, 
is quite different to the one in France. Um, it starts in February in Australia, whereas in France it starts in September. Um, so in Australia it goes from February to December. And um, in, uh, in France it goes from September to June. To accommodate, of course, the, the summer holidays that we have that here in Australia as well as in Europe. That's mm. right, yes, in Europe summer is um, July, August, so that's why, yeah, that's why we have a break at that time. Mm. Mm. I suppose uh, being a teacher, we're pretty lucky the fact that there's four terms in the year and you get four sets of holidays. And so during the year, t uh, between the terms at, at our school, we have two weeks, two weeks, three weeks, and then six weeks at the end of the year. So I think all up that would be 12, 13 weeks um, of holidays, which is a decent amount. I know with a lot of the teachers that uh, work at our school, those um, holidays, I think a large proportion of those holidays are taken up with professional development and preparation for, uh, for uh, their classes when they return. As well as camps as well? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of camps that go on and for the school that we work at. Um, there's a number of uh, activities overseas as well as, uh, as well as in Australia, but certainly there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of activities that the teachers can participate in. Uh, in terms of structure for, uh, for the schooling system, uh, I'm not sure how this compares to, to France, but we've got our prep year, or, or you could say the preparatory year. A lot of people only say, say prep, it's just much easier. So prep is uh, for one year, or possibly two, depending on the child. And then there's primary school for six years, as well as secondary school, secondary school for six years. So how does it uh, compare to France? How long does the prep go for? Um, I think, actually, I forgot to mention that there's kindergarten, kindergarten which goes for uh, a year before prep. Um, so kindergarten can go for one or two years. It just depends. It's not um, obligatory or compulsory to send your kid to, uh, to a kindergarten. But prep is a part of the primary school system, and that goes for, for one year. Okay, and it's all compulsory, isn't it? Uh, the prep is compulsory, yeah, but kindergarten is, uh, is optional. Mm -hmm. so In France... Um I guess it's the same. Um, we don't really have kindergarten, but we start um, the prep. Uh, um, kids start to go to um, prep when they're three, so that would be when they go to kindergarten here, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, so I think that would be the same. Then they, get, they go to... Well, the first year is called um, petite section, mm. and then the second year is moyenne section, and the third year, uh, grande section. Mm. Um, and prep is... La maternelle, so it goes on for three years. And then they go to primary school um, for, uh, let me think, five years. Mm. And then to secondary school for, um, for seven years. Seven years, <laughs> yeah. okay. Mm. So at the end of the, oh, we have, um, being the final year in Australia, it's year 12 at secondary school. Um, and at the end of Year 12, all students go for um, a government-endorsed certificate in Victoria. It's called the Victorian Certificate of Education, or the VCE for short. Um, but in, in France, they go for the... Baccalaureate, yeah. which, um, yeah, they go for um, in the last year as well at um, secondary school. They do have one... Um, 
um, one exam the previous year, mm. um, so they do the f um, they take their French exam the previous year, mm. um, oral exam and written exam, and all the others in their last year. In the last year, mm. okay. And it's um, um, national wide. Yeah. Um, in Australia, it's just a state exam. Yeah. In France, it's um, national. Nas national. Okay. Uh, I think I read at some stage that only 80% of uh, the candidates get through the international uh, baccalaureate. I think in Victoria it's something like 95%. Mm. So maybe you could say the standards in, uh, in France are higher than they are in the state of Victoria here I in Australia. Yes, that's what I would uh, tend to believe, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Let's have a look at some of the key learning areas that we have in Australian schools. And when I say key learning areas, it's basically the compulsory subjects um, that you have to that you have to take in order to to get your final qualification. Uh, just to run through a very small list here, we've got English, mathematics, uh, studies of society and environment, and that basically means history and geography. Then there's science, arts, uh, lot lot means languages other than English. And there's also technology and finally physical education. Um, I thought maybe we could just focus a little bit on uh, LOATs being languages other than English. And I suppose being a foreigner, Rosie, what's your opinion about um, uh, the Australian's approach towards the, the learning of a second language or a foreign language for that matter? Um, to me, it seems um, not as um, important as it is in France. In France, it's very important to, to learn um, several um, languages other than French. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's also compulsory to learn several um, until, um, until the VCE year. So up until the end of their final year, they have to at okay. least take one language? Take, at least take two. Oh, uh, take yeah. two? Okay. Until you are 12, then, then uh, yes. So if you, you did uh, English and... You would do maybe English and German or English and Spanish. Um, mm. English is usually, but not always, but um, in most cases English is the first foreign language mm. um, student learn and mm. then they take on another one. Depending on what the school um, offers, it could be Italian, German, Spanish. Those are the most common ones, I think. So for you, you did English, obviously. I did, yes, I did English, Spanish, and German. And German, yeah. okay. Mm. Multi-talented woman. <laughs> so, uh, in Australia then, I know uh, in Victoria, um, I read a statistic at some stage, that 10% of students in Victoria go on to, uh, to study a second language at the year 12 level. So that's it's not a significant pr proportion mm, of the student body. That seems very, um, a very low figure to me. Mm. Sounds very low, 10%. Yeah. So do you mean that um, in year 12 they can, if they, um, if they choose so, they can not do any language? Yeah, there's an option not to do, right. not to do any, but a second language is compulsory at most schools um, up until the end of year 9 or year 10, depending on the school. And so can they keep several languages uh, until year 12 if they want to? Uh, it's possible for them to do um, more than one foreign language, but it's not common at all. I think, for example, at our school there might be, from what I know, two or three students that are doing two foreign languages. So out of a body of 220 students uh, in 
it's definitely not a significant number. So uh, I think in terms of Australia's geographical position, we're so far away from a number of a number of, uh, of countries that uh, the idea of learning a second language is not seen as terribly important. And the fact that uh, a lot of a lot of countries in the world that have English as uh, as one of their languages of business, and uh, you know, certainly it's uh, uh, maybe Australians think they can um, get by anywhere in the world just with English as well. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think something we could point out as well is that, um, as I said, in France, the, the most common language, foreign languages we learn are. Um, English, German, Italian, Spanish, whereas here, um, Indonesian, Chinese are, are quite common. Yeah, there's a focus on uh, on Asian languages, mm. and I suppose once again, it's got to do with our, our geographical position. But uh, Chinese and Japanese, to me, it, uh, it's such. I imagine they'd be such incredible languages to incredible, incredibly difficult languages to uh, to acquire. Yeah, mm, especially with, with the characters and yes. um, maybe as well. Um, I mean, the students who usually take on Chinese and Japanese aren't they of Asian background? Not necessarily. It, it depends. Sometimes uh, at Year Twelve they have two streams. They have an L1 stream as well as an L2. So L1 is uh, it's really their, their native language, and L2 is that they haven't grown up in. Uh, in the country where the language has been spoken. How about if we move on to uh, some of the extracurricular activities that students participate in at school? What did you think of the level of involvement of, uh, of students at the school that uh, you worked at? Um, the school I worked at, um, I was definitely impressed by, um, by the number of extracurricular um, activities offered. Mm. Um, many of them and really... Um, really nice ones, very interesting ones, and students are very involved um, in them as well. Mm. It's yeah. Yesterday I was writing a couple of references for the kids in my Year 12 class, and uh, before I sat down to write the references, I made the kids come up with a list for me of all of the different extracurricular activities that they've participated in. And for some of the kids, it's absolutely amazing how much they can juggle, f juggle from day to day. Like for example, there's this one kid who's been involved in debating uh, a drama production. He was um, head of uh, the violin section in the symphony orchestra. He was a platoon commander in cadets, and he had participated in a number of inter-school uh, and, and intra-school competitions. So... So all this in your 12, so he was doing all this as well as preparing for his VC. For his VC, As we know, year 12 yeah. is a very demanding year. Yeah. So yeah, it is really uh, impressive, actually. Mm. But I suppose it depends on the school also on what kind of activities they do offer because I've worked at a couple of other schools in the past where really uh, the idea of Sunday morning sports is something that doesn't exist. Um, and also a number of activities after school hours. It's just something that doesn't happen at, uh, at certain schools. So at the school that you went to in France, what kind of extracurricular activities did they offer? Or what's mm. common in France? Um, this, I don't think extracurricular activities are that common in France. Um, we do have a few, but 
then sports is not as important in France as it is here in Australia. Um, so you might be offered swimming, or a cross-country, um, athletics. Um, music is just just um, part of the school program, so mm-hmm. not very. Um, um, it's just a, an, an overview of you know um, music. And mm-hmm. um, what else? So would you get one-on-one tuition with music and? There might be some schools where you can, you mm-hmm. can, um, not the schools I've been to. Um, yeah. Mm. You mentioned before the fact that sports are very important in Australian schools, and I have to, I have to agree with you on that one. Certainly, with sports, with the school that we work at, every Saturday morning there's a sport that the kids have to have to participate in, and at the same time during the week there's two training sessions that they have to. Uh, also attend and uh, even in Australian culture with sports Australian football and cricket there's so many iconic figures in those particular areas and they really worshipped not as as gods I wouldn't say that but they really uh, are worshipped by the public and they're ever present in in the Australian media even with Peter Brock for example Peter Brock was uh, a famous car racing driver and he passed away recently, and uh, the state gave him um, a funeral. And so all the expenses were paid for, and uh, you know, huge media coverage. But you know, I couldn't help but uh, I was talking about it with my family, and we were saying if it was a scientific, uh, if it was a scientist or someone involved in an academic field, uh, a state funeral is just something that wouldn't be offered. Yeah, I was also a little bit, um, maybe not shocked, but. Yes, I had the same reaction, and we were talking about it with my um, my partner as well, and um, we were saying that yes, if we, uh, lots of people die every day, and some of them might have done um, important things as well, and don't get any credit for it. Mm. It's just uh, Australian culture for you. And um, still about sports, so I wanted to mention as well that even for Every, Australians, Australians in general um, play sports a lot. Like um, they would train in the morning, early in the morning before going to work, or they would train after work. Um, some of them almost every day. Um, we don't see that much in France. I was quite um, surprised when I first arrived in Australia that um, most of the gyms and centres are open from 5 a.m. Um, that doesn't apply. No, it doesn't apply. No. <laughs> um, how about we move on to the university system now that mm-hmm. we have here in Australia? Um, well, once once a student finishes year 12, they get uh, a score which is called an ENTER score, and ENTER is an acronym for the equivalent national tertiary entrance rank. And so each student that receives an ENTER score it's, uh, gives them an idea of where they sit relative to all the other students who have completed year 12 in that particular year. So once they get their score, they can apply for a particular course and uh, they start their degree. So if they go to university, they can do a three-year degree, but what's becoming more popular nowadays is uh, that students do a double degree, which goes for five years, and after that they have an option of doing graduate diplomas or masters or um, a PhD. But you know they don't necessarily have to go on to university. They can move on to a TAFE. 
Sorry, Glenn, can you tell me more about the double degree? What, what does it actually mean? Um, just study two different fields? Yeah, yeah, with a double degree they can do, say, any number of combinations. It could be engineering and law, medicine and arts, uh, commerce and, uh, and science. So a whole range of combinations. So typically it's five years, it could be more. So they would study both for five years? Or mm. yeah. Yep, both for five years, okay. yeah. Uh, how about the TAFE institutions? Uh, yeah, TAFE um, stands for Technical and Further Education. It's... Um, it's more for <laughs> vocational training, isn't it? Yes, it's more of a vocational training and it's quite, um, quite easy to get access to TAFE, mm. I think. What for the people that want to be apprentices and mm. actually work in a particular trade, uh, for example, if they want to be a carpenter or a plumber or something like that, they could actually leave at the end of year 10 and do their year 11 and year 12 at a TAFE, but it's more um, practically orientated. But even as an adult, you can go back to a TAFE if you want to and get get trained in a particular area. So okay, um, uh, how, about, how about uh, the HEX fees? Um, HEX fees, okay, um, HEX fees... If you're an Australian citizen, uh, you can go to uni as long as you pay hex fees, which are uh, about $4,800, and uh, you just pay them off when you start work. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Actually, in the past, it was free to go to university, but it was 10 years, 10 years ago now. That's actually when I started, first started at university, 10 or 12 years ago that they introduced this HEC system, which means the Higher Education Contribution Scheme. And so it was recognised at that particular stage that each student should um, pay a particular amount for their education. And since that time, like many other things in life, the prices go up. Um, I know when I started, I paid roughly 2,000 Australian dollars a year to go to university, which is roughly 1,000 US dollars. And now it's uh, 4,800. That's for humanities, arts and behavioural sciences, but it really depends on the course that you do because there are some others like business where you pay 6,800 Australian dollars or law, dentistry, medicine, you have to pay 8,000. But for an international student, it's even more. How much did you pay for yours? Uh, I paid $11,000 for a year and that was the cheapest um, uni. Yeah. Um, other yeah. unis, um, I could have studied arts, but... Uh, I had to pay $15,000 for the year. $15,000? Yeah. Okay. It's quite a lot of money, isn't it? It $15, is, yes, yeah. definitely it is. Um, There's certainly been a lot, of, um, a lot of articles in the newspaper about the amount of money it costs now to go to or to, to pursue uh, a course um, at tertiary level because there's a lot of students that end up finishing their qualification maybe they've got a debt of you know, $20,000, $40,000. And I suppose from the beginning of their career, in a way, they're, they're behind the eight ball because they've got a significant amount of money to pay off for their education and to get a house or an apartment or something like that. It's, it's expensive. And how, how do you pay the HEX fees, Glenn, if you're a citizen? Uh, in order to pay them off, it depends on the amount of money that you earn. I can't remember what the threshold is, but I think it's maybe 25, 30,000 Australian dollars. After you earn, um, after that amount, there's a certain proportion that you pay back through, through the tax system. 
So hopefully one day you're able to pay it off. Yeah. So if I'm <laughs> right, uh, when you go at the at the time you go to uni, you only pay a small amount, and then when you leave uni and start work, mm. you start paying off this debt. Is that right? You actually don't even have to pay anything uh, as you when you go. Um, it's really at the end that you have to that you accumulate right, okay. you accumulate all this right. debt and then you pay it off. I think there's very small nominal amounts at the very beginning of the year mm. uh, for administration, but then after that, mm. the big debt um, is saved for when you work. Mm. And if you are an um, international student, you have to pay half of the fee um, before you start the mm. year and the other half uh, uh, at the start of the second semester. At the start of the second semester, okay. Mm. Okay, looks like that's the end of uh, our podcast for today. Uh, once again, we're going to put a transcript up on the English section of um, the World Languages Podcasting site. So if you want to head to the site, it's www.worldlanguagespodcasting.com and you'll be able to access the amazing transcript with the fascinating exercises and as well as the answers. So for today, goodbye. Goodbye.